Good morning. It's a reading from John 17:11 through 19. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name and the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that, script, uh, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you send them into the world, I have sent them. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. You all may be seated. Well, I'm excited to be preaching this morning. It's always nice to have a week off, but it throws my whole rhythm out of whack. Like I woke up this morning, I'm like, how do I preach again? Like, wh- what do I do? How? Yeah. So I also was with some pastors this week and they beat me up quite thoroughly. Uh, we were playing basketball and um, well, let's just say I'm not in the same sort of fitness I was as a teenager. And so my knees are all bruised up and banged up. And uh, one of the pastors told me I needed to show you guys my knees to say, this is how much I've been praying for you. What are you guys doing? But, you know, we're not going to do that this morning. Uh, But I am excited to continue our series on prayer today. Uh, This is the season of Lent, which is a season on the church calendar that's been celebrated for about 1,700 years. It's a time of remembrance and preparation for the season of Easter, where we remember our sin, where we grieve over it, and ultimately we build up hope in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. You know, taking a season to intentionally pray and fast really does a couple things for us, but most importantly, it, it aligns our hearts with God's hearts. It, it's about us taking a, a season to, to step back, to step back from all the stuff that's in our mind, all of our thoughts, all of our desires, all of our wants, and ultimately say, God, I'm going to separate myself for this season. I'm going to set apart this season and pursue you, because when we do that, it enables us to see God's heart and ultimately enables us to see the beauty of the gospel in a real and profound way. It helps us to to be awakened to the things of God in ways that we wouldn't be able to be awakened to otherwise, except for a season of intentional prayer and fasting. And so in the first week of the series on prayer, I shared that a majority of Christians struggle to make time for prayer. That's okay for us to admit that there is something wrong, that we, that we struggle with prayer. And we discussed in that first sermon that the solution to that typical, that particular problem is to first know God in a deep and profound way. If we'll know who God is in a deep and profound way, then we'll desire to spend time with Him in prayer. If we can understand who He is, we'll realign our lives 
for that. As we understand God and what he's accomplished for us through the gospel, the vibrant prayer life that we all want and seek naturally flows from that place. Knowing God intimately, and that means truly knowing him, not just knowing about him, but truly knowing who our God is makes us want to spend time with him in prayer. That's step one, right? We know God, we desire to spend time with him in prayer. But today I want to talk about step two, which is ultimately to be sanctified in prayer, where our conversations with God are fueled by our understanding of God and his will. So it's not just about getting us to prayer and then just praying whatever comes to our mind, right? It's about praying specific types of prayers that are aligned with the very heart, will, and character of who God is. You know, often, even when we know God, when we understand what he's accomplished for us on the cross, we still pray things that are out of alignment with the heart of God. We're still praying all of these prayers that aren't necessarily rooted in who God is. And I don't think we do this intentionally, right? I don't think we're over there being like, okay, God, I know that this isn't the way I'm supposed to pray, but I'm going to pray here anyway. I think it's ultimately that we don't truly understand the way that we are to pray. It's from a lack of understanding of Scripture. And here's what I mean by that. I want to give us an example of that. And so I want to first go to John 14, 14, before we dive into our main text. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. It's in the same upper room discourse that we're talking about in John 17. And he tells his disciples in John 14, 14, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, you guys already can, some of you can already see where I'm going with this. We can read this and we can think of Jesus like a magic genie, right? We're like, okay, Jesus, I want a Lamborghini. In Jesus' name I pray, so therefore God has to do it, right? That's what the scripture says. Right, I can ask for anything in Jesus' name, and God is going to do it for me. That's what the scripture says. Okay, you guys are supposed to be like, no, pastor, you're wrong. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, if we read the verses ultimately before this, we'll actually uncover that Jesus has something else in mind. It's always important for us to be rooted in scripture, in the totality of scripture, so that we can understand what scripture ultimately has for us. And so I'm not going to read all 13 verses before this in John 14, because I don't want my first sermon back from a week off to be like double the length as normal. So I just want to read verses 12 and 13 for you. It says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so this ultimately helps us to understand the types of things that we are to ask God for. It's not the Lamborghinis. It's not the, the mansion on a hill. It's not all of these things that are fueled in our wants and desires and needs. It's ultimately the things of God, right? Jesus is saying, even greater things that I am doing, you will do because I go to the Father. That's because there are so many of us that are rooted in his name, that are his redeemed church, that we can go out and do the very things of God. And those are the things that we're to be praying for. We're supposed to be praying out of alignment with the, thing of, with the things of God, we're not supposed to be going through this laundry list of prayers and then just throw in Jesus' name at the end of it and expect God to answer them all. That's not how we're to pray to God. Those things are never going to be effective because they're not in line with God's heart. As we align ourselves with God's heart, as we understand who he truly is through his scriptures, our prayer life becomes more vibrant and more effective because we know who God is. 
And so today, I want to help us to try and go a little bit deeper in our understanding of who God is and how he would have us pray to him by looking uh, at the next verses in John 17. So we looked at John 17, verses 1 through 10, two weeks ago, and today we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 19 to hopefully uncover how God would have us pray to him. And so let's start in verses 11 and 12, and I'll reread these again. This is Jesus praying. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Now, if I had to guess, if I'm thinking through all of our prayer life here, and don't worry, I can't see all of your prayers because I know that would be a little bit scary for all of you, but I can't see all of them. But if I could, and if I had to guess, I would assume that prayers for protection would be one of the most common prayers that we pray, either for ourselves or our family members or those around us. I think prayers for protection— would be high on the list. We love praying for protection. Has anyone ever prayed for traveling mercies? I have yet to understand what traveling mercies are, but we all seem to pray for them, right? We always pray for protection, but is it biblical? Is it biblical for us to pray for protection? And you may be thinking, of course it's biblical. Pastor, we literally just read Jesus praying for protection for his disciples, But I think it's important for us to understand what kind of protection Jesus is praying for. Because he's not praying for them to be protected from physical or emotional harm, right? That's not Jesus' focus here. He's not praying for them to be protected from financial struggle either. That's not what he's praying for. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have troubles. In this world, you will have troubles. We will face trials and tribulation and persecution and even death. Well, that kind of messes up our prayers for protection, right? If those are things that Jesus promises that we will ultimately encounter. This doesn't really line up with our view of protection. So the view, the, the type of protection that Jesus is praying for here is very different than what we pray for most often. While we typically pray for protection from difficulty and pain and hardship, the type of protection that Jesus seeks for us is ultimately protection from disunity, from false beliefs, and ultimately a malformed life that rejects the things of God. That's what Jesus is most concerned about when he's praying for his disciples, that they would be protected from a life that's lived contrary to the things of God. Jesus is concerned that we will go off course. I know that's shocking to all of us that Jesus would be concerned that we would go off course, but he is. He's concerned that we're going to to go off course again, because that's the whole history of Scripture. Like, you pick up Scripture, you flip to any page, and okay, the people of God have gotten it for a second, and then they've gone off course again. They get it, and then they go off course. He's concerned that we're going to go off course. And so in this moment where he's communing with his father in front of his disciples, right before he goes to the cross, he's praying that they would be protected against all the nonsense that was going to come after it. 
that they would take heart to the things of God, that they wouldn't fall away, they wouldn't walk away, they wouldn't choose a different path, but that they would be protected against everything that was coming their way. Because Jesus saw that what was coming for them was ultimately a spiritual battle. Right? It's ultimately a spiritual battle. And, and Jesus is praying. He's asking for them to be protected by the power of God's name. And this is odd wording for us, right? We don't go around like saying in the name of so-and-so except unless we're praying, right? But in, in first century culture, in ancient culture, names carried meaning, right? When, when we talked about Kevin— uh, that means handsome in Irish. You're all welcome for that. Uh, not that it ultimately plays around, but that names have meaning. They carried weight for them. Names ultimately reflected the characteristics of the person that had the name, especially when we're talking about nobility or a deity. And so ultimately, when Jesus is praying in God's name, he's saying that this is synonymous with his character. Think out of your great character, God, protect them. He's saying out of your great name, out of your character, out of who you are, protect them. Jesus is asking his father to protect his disciples, not in the things that are contrary to who God is, but ultimately it's a certain type of protection that he's seeking. And I want to look at the reason why Jesus is praying for protection, because he ultimately reveals it for us at the end of verse 11 that they may be one as we are one. That's how Jesus underscores this prayer for protection for his disciples, that they may be one as we are one. What Jesus is doing here is he's praying for their sanctification, that they would be people who are transformed and ultimately live Christ-like lives, that they would be one as the Father and the Son are one, that they would be people who are conformed to the image of Christ, that they would be united with one another and ultimately be united in Christ so that they could live life that is truly life. He's asking for them to be protected from all the things that stand in the way of their sanctification. Things at the chief, at the, at the top of the list, like disunity. Things like false beliefs and things like false gods that so often try and take us off course. Jesus is praying that they would be protected so they would be one as he and the Father are one, so that they would obtain a certain type of life. Now, I want to ask us the question, this is rhetorical, but how often have we prayed for that type of protection? How often have we prayed for the type of protection that our souls would be formed in the image of God? That we would be united in Christ, that we would be protected from all the things that, that try to malform our souls. You know, if I'm honest, if I look at my prayer life, not nearly often enough. I don't pray this type of prayer often enough for myself or for those around me. You know, Jesus here is primarily concerned about our souls being protected, and we should be too. If this is what Jesus focuses here, it should be our focus in prayer as well. We should be people who are seeking the empowerment of the Spirit in our lives so that we can live lives that are pleasing to God. Not just in one aspect, but in every aspect. Not just on one day of the week, but on every day of the week so that we can ultimately stand firm in the face of temptation. So that we can be protected when all of these other things come against us that threaten to derail us from the things of God, that threaten to take us off course, that threaten to malform our souls. We should be people who seek protection in this way. 
This protection is found in prayer. It's not found in in doing all of these other things and building ourselves up. It's found in coming to God. Then God, I'm not strong enough to do this. That's a good thing for us to admit in prayer. God, I'm not strong enough to withstand on my own. I'm not strong enough to do all the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm not mature enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not sanctified enough. God, I need you to work in my life. It's found in seeking God to do a mighty work within us. Not once, and it's not once and done, but seeking him to do a mighty work in us daily so that we can overcome, so that we can stand firm, so that we can be protected from all the things that come against us. Now, I do want to take a quick note before I move on, because I'm talking about protection. And uh, when I'm talking about protection, and especially trying to say that, you know, we pray for protection wrongly, I do want to talk about how God cares about our physical well-being. And I want to just talk about this briefly, because I think it's important for us to understand this, because we can have right and wrong beliefs about this. God does care about our physical well-being. It's, he's done this entire work of salvation. It's not just for our spiritual souls, but it's for the totality of all creation. He cares for our physical well-being. That's why when we read Revelation 21, it's a promise of a new creation, of a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more tears, where there's no more suffering, where there's no more pain. There is coming a day where all things will be made new where there will be no suffering, where there will be no pain, where there will be no difficulty. But right now, on this side of eternity, on this side of Jesus coming back, on this side of Jesus making all things right, there will be tragedy. There will be heartache. Not because God is bad, but because of the effects of sin over the entire creation. It's not a bad God. It's a bad us. We have done this. We have sinned against the holy God. We have introduced all of the pain into society and creation. But in eternity, when we see Jesus face to face, those who are children of God through faith in the risen Jesus will experience a completely whole life. A completely whole life. Everything will be made new between us and God in our physical lives forever with God. Right now, there will be trouble. But we can take heart when tragedy comes. We can take heart when heartache comes because Jesus has overcome the world. And so will we when he comes again to reign over the entire creation. You know, think about this. Every person that Jesus healed died again. Every person that Jesus resurrected from the dead died again. Every miracle he performed ultimately resulted in the same thing we experience today, death. It's a foretaste of the coming of the ultimate kingdom where all things are made new. We may perish now. We may face immense difficulty now. We may face immense suffering now. But we have a hope that says, even if my body dies, Even if I perish, even if I go through difficulty after difficulty, I know that one day, one day, all things will be made new. All things will be made right. I will live forever in perfect peace, in perfect harmony, in perfect restoration because Jesus conquered death. 
Because he has done this, I have a hope that's unending. And so, yes, there is this yearning within us for this complete restoration. And that's not a bad thing for us to have. But we have to realize that that complete restoration for our bodies comes in the resurrection. It comes in eternity, not here and now. That doesn't mean that we don't pray for healing. We should pray for healing. It's just putting it in proper perspective for us. I hope that aside helps us as we're talking through protection. Uh, But with that said, let's move on to the next section of Jesus' prayer. Let's look at verses 13 through 15. Jesus continues praying to the Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is continuing his prayer for his disciples here, and he turns to the subject of joy. So we've already talked about protection, and I've already helped us understand that we're praying for protection all wrong. Well, now let's, let me just burst the bubble and say we're praying for happiness and joy all wrong as well, okay? I can be the bad guy today, all right? I'm okay with that every once in a while. You know, we're all seeking joy in a lot of different places. We all seek it here, there, and everywhere, but true lasting, unfading joy, the type of joy that we really seek, the type of joy that we ultimately desire is found in Christ alone. You won't find it in money. You won't find it in a promotion. You won't find it in a relationship or an illicit substance or or you fill in the blank. It's not found in anything else but Christ alone. It's not found in sex. It's not found in pornography. It's not found in anything but Jesus alone. We search for it all of these other places. And it's hard to remember where joy is ultimately found, right? It's difficult. We live within the natural world, the physical world, and we want joy. We want happiness. There's a yearning within us for that. And it can be difficult to look towards Jesus, Because all of these things that we're searching for in the natural world, they do give us a sort of temporary joy. Although it may be fleeting, although it comes to pass easily, there's some sort of joy that's there. But that joy always goes away. We're always searching for more and more and more. When we think we found it, that's when the next thing comes along. When we think we find it, then the next thing comes along. There's always this desire for joy. We're people in search of meaning, right? We're people looking for meaning. We think if we'll search far enough, we'll find it. That's just around the corner, that if we get there, then we'll obtain it. You know, it's like the song Graves into Garden says, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. All that's out there, it's never enough. We can search for it and we can yearn for it and we can uncover all of these things, but it's never enough. There is hope for true joy, though. There is hope for true meaning. You know, that song goes on speaking of Jesus and it says, Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. True joy, true meaning, true peace, all that we search for, 
is ultimately found in Jesus. We need to truly grasp this. We need to understand it on a deep level. It needs to affect our entire beings, including our prayer life. It needs to affect who we are and the things that we ultimately pray to God. Like, like I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, all right? Because I'll be raising my hand with you. How many times have you prayed for God to grant you some fleeting desire? Not because it's in service of him or his kingdom, but because it's what you think best. And you're sitting here like one, two, seven thousand, nine million eight hundred and thirty-seven thousand eight hundred and thirty-two. Like we ask for all of these things very, very often, right? It's like, God, this is the thing that I want. It's the next best thing. It's what I really need. And then next Tuesday, we're like, no, this is what I want, God. This is what my soul has been searching for. Please, please, Lord. If you could just do this if it's in your will. He's like, it's not in my will, brother. It's not there. I'm not giving you the Lamborghini, Kevin. It's just not happening. We've done this way too many times. We seek God and we come to him in prayer and we give him this, these desires that are ultimately not in alignment with who he is. We need to let Jesus fuel our desires. We need to, to let Jesus fuel everything about us, including our prayer lives. And it starts by knowing who we are in Christ. It starts by knowing who we are. So if you're here and if you're struggling to find joy, if you're tired of searching for it everywhere else, stop. Stop. Stop and think of what Jesus says about you. Think about what Jesus says about you. Look again at verse 13 real quick. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He's saying this so that the disciples will have the full measure of his joy within them. They don't have to search for it. It's right there in front of them. It's right there in Jesus. They just have to look at Jesus. Jesus has revealed to the disciples that he's about to leave. He's about to go off and that they're going to have trouble. The next verse says that the world hates them, that it's going to be difficult. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus is revealing that true joy, that supernatural joy is found in him. It's found in what he says about this, about us. I say these things so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So let's talk for a moment about what Jesus says about you? Have you stopped to consider it lately? Have you considered the goodness of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus towards you? Because often we have this negative self-talk that's in us. Even if we know Christ, even if we place our faith in him, even if we trust him for salvation, there's still this negative self-talk within us that says we're not good enough. He says that we are not irredeemable. Think about that. You're not irredeemable. You're redeemable. You're new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. The past, the suffering, all the difficulty, all the wrong that you've done. He's, he's thrown it away. He says, you are new. I've given you a new name. 
He says that we're not the sum of our bad decisions. Hallelujah, right? We're not the sum of our bad decisions, but nothing, nothing, that word, it it means nothing, not a thing, can separate us from the love of God. You're not the sum of your bad decisions. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He says that you and I, that we have all of these character flaws, that we have all of these things, all of these prickly parts of us. He says that we're not unlovable. He says that we're not unlovable, but that we're his dearly loved children. That's who you are. There's someone that Jesus looks at and says, I gave my life for them. I desire them. I want them. I love them. We're built up when we remember what Jesus says about us. We're built up into the type of people that God ultimately desires for us to be. We've got to realize that nothing in this world will bring us joy. Nothing else will bring us joy, even if we try to baptize it in Christian lingo. Like, Lord, I need this for your kingdom. He's like, no, you don't. Lord, if I get this, then I'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and I can help other people be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Like, you won't even give $2 in the offering now. Sorry, that wasn't trying to, that was a little harsh. That was not a comment on it. I don't see any of your giving. Nothing in this world will bring us joy. We can't hold on to Jesus, hold on to his kingdom, hold on to what he says about us while also trying to hold on to the world. We can't do it. We can't hold on to both things. It's not possible for the one who is transformed by Christ to stay in the world, to continue to desire and seek worldly things. You know, Jesus prays in verse 14 that we are not of the world just like he isn't of the world. Like, wait a second. Jesus like, you are uncreated in the heavenlies for all eternity. Of course, you're not of the world, but you're saying I'm not of the world like you're not of the world? Like, what, what are you saying, Jesus? In Christ, we're a new creation. In Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. In Christ, there is a new life inside of us. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul would say that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And Jesus, knowing this, knowing that he's about to leave earth, he doesn't pray, okay, Father, the world doesn't like my disciples, just like it doesn't like me. I'm about to leave, so please take them out of the world with me. That's not what Jesus prays. He says in verse 15, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus knows that living in the world is difficult, not because of people, but because there's an enemy who steals, kills, and destroys. He knows that all of these things are set against the life of the believer, that the evil one or Satan is set on derailing the kingdom of God. And Satan wants nothing more than to turn our thoughts towards other things. To say, oh, look at this shiny thing that's in the world. Yes, you're not of the world, but look at this. Yes, you're a new creation, but remember this old creation. That was kind of fun, right? Remember how you felt then? Remember the good times that we had? 
Satan is always trying to pull us back towards the old man, towards the old self. And we need to be people who seek God's protection to stay on the straight path, to do battle against the evil one. You know, it's okay to pray things like, God, there are all of these things that seem attractive to me, right? It's okay to pray to God and say, Lord, I'm struggling. This temptation over here looks really tempting because that's what temptation does. It's tempting. It's okay to pray to God and say, Lord, I I know that the enemy is using all of these things to tempt me and I'm struggling and I can't do it on my own. I need you to help me find my strength and my joy in you alone. I need you to help me be rooted in who I am in Christ, not who I used to be in the world. I need you to help me be the new man, not the old man. I need you to help me to live the sanctified life, not the unsanctified life. I need you to help me live life in the spirit, not life in the flesh. We need to be bold in praying against the schemes of the enemy, inviting God to intervene in our lives. You know, Satan wants nothing more than us to present ourselves as better than we are to God, right? He's like, you should be better than this, right? Like, why are you still struggling with that? God doesn't want to hear about you struggling again with this particular sin. And that's a lie that the enemy uses to keep us in our sin, to keep us in our muck and our mire. He uses that to deceive us. God desires to hear from you. He desires to hear what you're struggling with. He wants to deliver you. He wants us to come to him. It's paramount to an effective Christian life for us to seek the Lord. For us to seek the Lord in all things, including what we're struggling with. All right, let's go on to the last few verses here. Read verses 16 through 19 again. Jesus continues his prayer. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, whenever something repeats in Scripture, it's important for us to pay attention to it, right? So verse 16 is a repetition of what Jesus said in verse 14. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And what Jesus is doing is he's really hammering home that we are not of the world. He's trying to help us understand that there is a new thing that is happening within us. We're not of the world. Just as he is not of the world, we are not of the world. Ultimately, what Jesus is doing here, because remember, he's praying this prayer in front of the disciples. He's letting them know all this. He's giving them a glimpse into how he's praying for them. And he's doing this ultimately for them to see that they have a new identity. And it's one of those already but not yet identities, right? Like, we're, we're not of the world, but we're not fully not of the world. Like, anyone identify with that statement? Like, there's still this transformation that's happening within us. It's an already reality, but also a not yet reality. We're still prone towards the temptations of the world. And I think Jesus recognizes that. And that's why in verse 17, he prays, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He says, he's praying for them, saying that they're not of the world, but then he's also saying, sanctify them. 
He knows that there's some more stuff that needs to happen within his disciples. We don't find truth outside of the Word of God. We don't find truth in the world's plausibility structures or or the things that make sense because of human culture. We don't find truth elsewhere. We find our truth in the Word of God. That's where we ultimately find truth. And we must be sanctified in truth. Not just having a knowledge of truth, but being set apart for truth. That's what Jesus ultimately prays for us. And that's important. Because sanctification is both this event that marks a turning point as well as an ongoing process. And that's what we mean in the Christian and Missionary Alliance when we say sanctification is a a crisis and a progressive experience. It's this moment in time, this event that marks a turning point in our lives, but it's also this ongoing process. Jesus is praying for us to be sanctified in truth. That means knowing truth, coming to know it in the first place, but then also allowing that truth to daily move in us more and more and more. We come to know Jesus and the things of God ultimately through his word. Not through what we want it to be like, right? Not through what everyone else tells us Jesus is like and what he desires. We come to know who Jesus is and his thoughts and his ways through his word. But it's not a once and done thing where we read the book and we're like, okay, I got it. We need the ongoing illumination of the Holy Spirit to make his word come alive to us so that we can live in light of it, right? He doesn't just call us to know truth. He wants us to be sanctified in truth, to be set apart for truth, to live it in our lives. And we need to put this in prayer. We need to ask God to root us in him, to help, him, to help us know him in the deepest recesses of who we are. In our inner man, as scripture calls it, the deepest parts inside of us that speak of who we are, of who God is, of our role in the world around us. We need to ask God to move in us in a profound way. So, not so that we have truth in our head alone, but in our hearts, in our souls, in our everyday lives. You know, I think, I think one of the reasons that we're so spiritually immature. And I'm going to talk in broad generalizations here, okay? One of the reasons that we are so spiritually immature is because we're trying to do all the work ourselves. Right? Isn't that Paul's message to the Galatians? He literally says, you foolish Galatians, having begun this work by the Spirit, are you now trying to finish it in the flesh? And that's exactly what we do. Like, okay, God, I prayed the prayer, I've come to church, and now it's my fight. It's my battle. I have to make everything clean up in my life. I have to get everything right. And God's like, what are you doing? It's by his spirit. It's by the process of sanctification. It's by him working in us that our lives are transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. Not because of what we do. We simply yield. We yield ourselves to the ongoing work of the spirit. We need to allow God to make his word alive to us. To ask him to illuminate it inside of us. Not saying, God, help me to do all of this right. God, do a profound work in me. Transform my mind. Transform my thoughts. Transform my innermost being. So that I can naturally flow out of that, out of a new identity in who you are. We need to pray for God to do a mighty work in us. To sanctify us 
and truth. To do something radical within us so that we are never the same. Finally, here in this scripture, Jesus prays in verses 18 and 19 for us to be sent into the world. And that's a scary one for us. Praise for us to be sent into the world as his ambassadors in light of what he's done. We're not sanctified in truth for ourselves alone. God doesn't sanctify us so that we can have this, this spiritual life that's wonderful. It's just me and God. Me and God are good. We have this wonderful life. That's not the only reason that God sanctifies us. You know, often we think of being set apart, which is what sanctified means, as being set apart from something. We're set apart from sin. But it also means that we're set apart for something. We're set apart for God and his mission in the world around us. Jesus makes it clear that we're set apart for the sake of the world. He says, as I have been sent into the world, I'm sending them into the world. He's praying that they would be sanctified so that they can go and be his hands and feet after he ascends to heaven. He's wanting them to be sanctified for the sake of the world around them. Holy living without missional living isn't true sanctification, it's moralism. When we live these holy lives apart from living missional lives, we haven't truly been sanctified. True sanctification results in holy living and missional living. It results in us living rightly for God and living rightly for God. And what I mean by that is living rightly for God in, in, our, in our deeds towards him, but also living rightly for God in our deeds towards others. And sharing the good news of the gospel and going forth and meeting the needs in the world around us, showing them the love of a Savior that came and died and was resur- resurrected for them. We need to pray that God would show us his truth and also show us his heart for the world. And I think verse 19 gives us a glimpse of that heart when Jesus says, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And this is one of those weird verses, right? Like Jesus is saying, I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. Why does Jesus need to be sanctified? And it's just this type of wordplay that he's doing here. He's saying, I set apart myself, that they may truly be set apart. He's ultimately alluding by saying, I sanctify myself to the type of death that he's going to die on the cross. He's saying, I'm setting apart myself for this death. I'm setting myself apart to accomplish all this, to do what they couldn't. I set myself apart to do what God has set me apart to do so that they can be set apart in me so that they can find their identity, so that they can find their life in me, so they can find who they really are, not in trying to find it within themselves, but so they can find it in the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus. Without him being set apart to die in our place, we cannot be set apart from sin and formation. It's impossible for us to be set apart outside of Jesus setting himself apart to die for us, to mark himself for death. Jesus' death and resurrection should live at the center of our lives. It's where we should find our deepest meaning. It's where we should find our identity, not in anything else, but in Jesus' death and resurrection. Every day, When we go to God in prayer, before we give him the laundry list of things, right? 
Before we give him all of our wants and our desires, we should approach him with gratitude for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because outside of the cross, we can't be saved. Outside of the cross, we can't be sanctified. Outside of the cross, we have no hope for the future. Outside of what Jesus did, it doesn't matter anything else. We should approach God with this deep and profound gratitude because of what he has done. Jesus died for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. He set himself apart for us, and by grace, through faith, we can have new life, true life. Life not lived in the flesh, life not lived for fleeting desires, but life lived in faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we learn to pray from a place of gratitude, everything else falls into place. When we come to God in light of the gospel, in light of what he has done for us, it all falls into place. Not that our problems go away, they don't. Our problems are still there, but our approach to our problems is profoundly different. Our approach to the problems of the world is profoundly different. We'll find purpose and strength and joy and peace in Jesus. We'll find our prayer life to no longer be a laundry list of things unrelated to God's will, but instead to be this sweet time where we commune with our Father. We spend time with him, the one who loves us, the one who cares for us, the one who has done all of this so that we could be redeemed and restored. From that place, from that understanding, we'll be empowered to live lives that are pleasing to God. Not in our own power, but by the power of God. To live lives separated from sin and for mission. If we want a deeper life with God, it's going to require us to adopt new wineskins. We can't do the same thing that we've been doing for the last 20 years and expect things to change, right? It's going to require new processes, new ways of approaching God, new ways of seeking him to move in our lives. We can't pray like we've always prayed. We need to pray according to the way and will of God. We need to be sanctified in prayer. Don't put your spiritual life on the back burner. Don't do it, friends. Nothing will change if you do. It's not one of those things where you're like, yeah, you know, one day I'm just going to wake up and everything's going to be better in my life. It's not how it works. It would be wonderful if it did, but it's not how it works. Day by day, surrender yourself to God. Express gratitude to him for the things that he's done for you. Seek his protection from the schemes of the evil one. Seek his joy, not the things of the world, but his joy. When we do that, things will radically change. There is a deeper life that is available to us in God, and it's worth seeking. And guess what? You don't have to do it alone. It's not just you and God. God has placed you within the family of believers. There's a reason that we're called brothers and sisters. Because we are family. You don't have to seek this life alone. You don't have to do it 
on your own. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who want to walk alongside of you. You know, we don't plug them enough, but this is the reason that we have small groups at North Country Alliance Church. We have small groups because it's this time where we get to spin together with brothers and sisters in Christ, where we talk more deeply about the Word of God, where we bring our questions about the Word of God, and we talk about it in community and learn how to live this life that God calls us to live. Not on our own, not trying to figure it out by ourselves, but among brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters who care for us deeply, who want, us, who want to see us thrive in Christ to truly have the transformed life. And so I encourage you to to be a part of a small group. You can stop by the Next Step Center today and learn more about our small groups. But if there's, for whatever reason, okay, if you can't be a part of a small group now, and that's fine, no judgment there. If you can't be a part of a small group, don't live life on your own. Find someone else. Grab a brother, grab a sister and say, hey, I need someone to walk alongside of me. And maybe you're here and you're like, I just got to the church. I don't know anyone. Maybe someone's going to judge me. We're not. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to look down upon you because you don't know enough. I learn more of how stupid I am every single day. I learn more of how much I don't know every single day. No one's going to look down upon you. No one's going to cast stones at you. No one's going to think your past is too bad. No one's going to think that, oh, well, you know, you were good until that point, but then you crossed the line. If you're still here and you're like, I don't know who to approach, come talk to me. I'll find someone. I'll, I'll, I'll do the work for you. I'll see who I can pair you up with, okay? Don't live life on your own. You know, the idea that we have to figure things out on our own is one of the biggest hindrance we have from a deeper life with God. It's one of those lies that the enemy uses to keep us exactly where we are. It's like, you'll figure it out. You can do it. You're strong enough. You're not. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father, we come to you so thankful. So, so, so thankful. That you have done what we couldn't do. You lived the life that we couldn't live. Died the death that we deserve on the cross. Took the punishment of our sin. And you were resurrected, showing that you've defeated death, sin, and the grave. You've redeemed us, God. You've made us new. You've cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. You say, I've forgiven you. That help us to truly know that. Help us to find our identities in you. Now protect us from all the things that seek to malform our souls. Protect us from the schemes of the enemy who would keep us on our own would say that you can figure it out. Protect us from all of that, Lord. And help us to find joy in you. Not in anything else, but help us to find true joy in what you've done for us. To find joy in our new identity as beloved sons and daughters of God. 
Help us to realize that you have a deeper life for us. God, and do something within us to that effect. Move mightily within us, O Lord. Sanctify us in truth. Sanctify us, Lord. Set us apart from sin. Set us apart for mission. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen.